So we're continuing our, our sermon series, I Love the Bible. And today we're going to uh, explore the question, well, what does it say? What is the fundamental uh, message, the central message of this of this book. And this is an important, uh, it may seem like a very broad general topic, but it's an important topic uh, for us because uh, many people do not accept the central message of the Bible. They do not, um, or, or they just reject it or parts of it. Uh, you might hear someone say, you know, the Bible is nice, but it's, you know, a very human book and there's, you know, it's full of contradictions and errors. I don't accept it. So I had, actually somebody said that to me once when I was in college. It, uh, um, a woman who lived on our floor she said, yeah, you know, I don't believe the Bible because all the contradictions. I said, well, what contradiction? Did, what, what is this contradiction that you're hung up on? And she said, no, all the contradictions. I said, well, what about one of the contradictions? And she actually didn't, she couldn't name one. She just had heard that the Bible's full of contradictions and she didn't believe it. And uh, so it actually led to kind of a, um, a great conversation. Uh, or other people may not, you know, reject the whole Bible, but they'll say, you know, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe all of it. You know, there's parts of it I just don't accept, or I just cannot follow. And so, why do people do that, or why would you say that? Why would you try to dismiss the the whole Bible out of hand, or just parts of it? Uh, or maybe you felt that way that there's parts you just, you know, I just can't accept that part, or I just can't accept this uh, as a reliable kind of a thing. I believe that some people, at least, dismiss the Bible because it threatens us. It, the, the Bible tells a story of a God who is all-powerful, who created the world, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. Therefore, he is lord of my life, and I am his subject. I, I, it challenges my authority in life. The Bible also teaches that the world is fallen and very broken in sin, and that um, we cannot trust even our own hearts, that my ability to know what is right and what is wrong that is, uh, is broken and distorted by sin. So I can't even trust my own desires. And apart from God, who says, my way is higher than your way, and a God who says, I know the way and who is the way, um, apart from knowing his way, we can't, we can't know the way. And therefore, uh, if his way is higher than my way, I just can't pick and choose what I think is right or wrong because he is showing me uh, what the truth is or what is true or what is error. Um, so, yes, uh, it is a collection of writings that are very different and written over uh, long periods of time and, and by many different authors, but yet it is one unified account. It is one message, one cohesive story. So we need to uh, understand it and accept it as a, as a whole. Um, so what is that message? What is that story? And there's a number of ways we could tackle that this morning. We are going to turn to Jesus. Jesus is a great place to turn because uh, we, we ask, what did Jesus believe that the message of Scripture was? What did he believe the unified story was? Because Jesus loved the Bible. Uh, the, of his day, of course, be referring to the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Uh, but Jesus quoted scripture all the time. When he was tempted by the devil, he quoted scripture. As he was dying, he is shouting out words of scripture. It just His whole ministry was immersed in scripture. Jesus loved scripture. Matthew 5, uh, verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear. From the law until everything is accomplished in the old English, not one jot or tittle, not one little 
dot, not one mark. It's all of it. Jesus affirmed the whole thing, every stroke of the pen, needed to be fulfilled and accomplished. It wasn't something that we pick and choose from. And so I would say that no, you cannot follow Jesus and reject the Bible. Because Jesus affirms the Bible, every little bit of it. And um, so in our text today, Jesus refers to the scriptures, he refers to the Bible as testimony. And the word testimony is a legal word, it's legal language. And we, we call our Bible Testament, the Old Testament, New Testament, that it is uh, verifying something. It is telling the truth about something. Verse 31, Jesus says here, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. What Jesus is, is saying is kind of a universal principle that Jesus is making massive claims about himself. And he's speaking truth of God's kingdom. And rightly so, in, this, uh, in the context of this passage, Jesus is claiming that God is his father. And the religious leaders who heard him say that were right in saying, that is a massive claim because if you're saying God is your father, you are claiming to be equal with God. And this is a massive claim. And Jesus said, well, yeah. And if it was just me saying it, then, then you wouldn't believe it. But he gives three testimonies that also speak to the truth of what he was saying about himself. And I want to, um, and they all point to Jesus's view of the Bible and also reasons, which is why I love my Bible. So let's, let's pray as we look at these three things. Father, you are, you are good. And you are love, and you love us, and you love us enough to reveal yourself to us. And you have revealed yourself, we believe, through your word. And we pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, who is present with us in this very place, that you would continue to form us and shape us, to know your heart, to know your word, and to respond to it out of love and obedience to you, Lord. We thank you, good Father for this opportunity. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Three testimonies uh, that verify Jesus' claims, that point to the bigger picture of God's word. Uh, The first is uh, John the Baptist. He's the first testimony. Verse 33. You've sent to John, John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist testified to what I'm saying. He was was a lamp. And very careful, uh, John, a different John who wrote this gospel, he made it very clear that John the Baptist was not the ultimate light. John chapter 1, 8. He, uh, John the Baptist, was not, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That John's lamp, which was, if you understand a a lamp, you know, it runs off of, you know, some kind of fuel, whether it's an oil or a battery, but it, it, it burns itself out over time. 
And John's whole ministry was, here. I'm, I'm, I'm shining light on something that's true, but it's just a lamp that's fading. And he even said, I must decrease and Jesus must increase the true light that was bringing ultimate light into the world. And this was, John's ministry was to point the way. But they only, these, these people only followed it for a time. There was a certain excitement about John. And what it was, was the people of his day, of John the Baptist's day, they were excited because they believed, as we do today, that God was unfolding his saving work in the world, that God was doing something, that God was on the move. And when John started proclaiming things about the Lord's kingdom, people came to look at it. But it wore off quickly, probably because of his message. His message was, repent, turn from your sin, wash, prepare, get your heart ready. The Lord is coming. We need to repent. And when he sees Jesus, he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is, he is the one who's fulfilling all of God's redeeming work that's, that's unfolding. And this points us to the very message of the Bible. The entire Bible is summed up, summed up in four scenes. The first scene is creation, where God creates a good and perfect world for his glory. The second scene is the fall of that world into sin. And, and, and it's uh, sin, people turn from God and they go their own way, and this sin corrupts the world and there's great brokenness. But the third scene is God's redemption. Right from, uh, right from the, the time when, uh, when sin enters the world, God is promising his salvation. And through a nation of people, he's unfolding it. And now, uh, through the one who was to come, through Jesus, the Messiah, his redemption will be experienced. And then there, the fourth scene is the consummation of all things. It's the end of time when, uh, when the world, all the evil and brokenness of the world will be made right. And, and all of God's people will live in his presence and worship him perfectly and live in peace. And these four scenes are this whole story. And, and John is out there saying, this is it. Prepare the way. God is doing this redeeming work. And it's all these, it's all light that is pointing to Jesus. And all of the promises of God's redemption. When, uh, when, when sin entered the world, God promised Eve, he said, uh, the seed of the woman, the, 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 one of the offspring of Eve is going to crush the head of evil, will crush the head of the, of the serpent. And God made promises to a man named Abraham and said, through one of your descendants, the, all the nations of the world, will be blessed. And at the time of Moses, there was a promise that there would be another prophet like Moses. There would be another one who would um, stand between the people and God and, and, and make a, a covenant. God's covenant promises will be fulfilled. At the time of the kings and David, God promised that there would be a king who was a descendant of David who would, who would come um, to, to reign on God's throne f- forever. And we get to the prophet Malachi in chapter 3. And he said, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then that's, that's John the Baptist is the one who came to say, the Lord is very near. He's coming uh, to, to rule, prepare the way, repent. And the people were so intrigued by what he had to say, but it just it wore out. Why is this important to us? It's important to us because it reminds us that being part of God's big story, we need to repent. 
We need to recognize that, yes, God created the world good, but yes, it's broken, and that brokenness includes me and my sin and my failure. And I need the Savior. I need to turn from my sin and turn to the Savior who he was announcing was was here. It means that when I when I take God's word, I'm taking this I'm taking this this story, this account that describes my life. But I'm not bringing it into my life. I'm bringing my life to it. I'm submitting myself to God's way, and but I'm but that's a good thing because I'm submitting myself to God's salvation. I'm submitting myself to God's healing that I see through these words, these powerful words. So John testified to that, that, this, that Jesus was it. Jesus was the one, and he was, he was the Lamb of God who was coming into the world. So that was the first testimony. The second testimony, Jesus says in verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. So this is, the second one's even better. He said, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. He said, the second testimony is the works that I'm doing. In the context, John chapter 5, Jesus has just healed a man. And he healed a man who had been crippled for 38 years. And then this man got up and he walks. It was a beautiful miracle. And I love my Bible because it's full of miracles. Why is that so good? Because some people would say, I can't believe the Bible. Or the Bible is clearly not true because... There's all these miracles and all these supernatural things that we know don't really happen. Can't happen. You know, because, um, you know, because we're so enlightened, because we're so much smarter than the people of Bible Day. Um, and, and people say, well, but, you know, maybe if those miracles happen today, then I would believe, of course. You know, if, if I was there and I saw the miracles and they actually happened, then, oh, of course I would Follow Jesus. The problem with that way of thinking is that not everyone who saw the miracles believed in Jesus. Um, The leaders here who are challenging Jesus, they're not disputing that he healed the man. They actually believe the miracle happened. They just said he did it on the wrong day of the week. But the fact that this man had been uh, an invalid and was healed was not up for debate because they all saw it. Um. So Jesus performed many miracles like this, and people didn't believe in him. And I believe that if God were to perform miracles today, to like the ones we see in the Bible, uh, that people would be amazed. And some would even have faith in God for a short period of time. But what would happen in the aftermath of the miracle is that life would get scary again. And something tragic might happen. And there would be disappointment and dis- and. Faith, would, faith that would be based just in miracles would be very shallow and would disappear quickly. Because that's not the purpose of miracles. The miracles aren't um, just to amaze us or to give us faith. The, the miracles are pointing to something else. Uh, the, a couple, two things. One, the miracle points to the authority of the messenger. So when Jesus uh, brings his message and he brings with it these works and these miracles, and when the apostles went and they brought with them healing and miracles, they, it, was, um, it was demonstrating that the message that is coming from that individual has the power of God with it. It's pointing to the, the authenticity of the message itself. The, and then the miracle then becomes a sign. The miracle is pointing to something else. It's pointing to who God is or what God's kingdom is like. 
So when you see physical life restored or healed, that's what God's kingdom is going to be like. When you see, um, when you see uh, control over nature, you see God's power over in his sovereignty over all things. So when Jesus calms a storm, it's pointing to the fact that God's kingdom is greater than even the forces of nature. It's the, the miracle always points to something else. Um, so Pastor Jack, who a number of you know, and if you don't know him, he'll be here in a couple weeks preaching, so we'll look forward to that. But Pastor Jack is deathly afraid of spiders. And he'll tell, when he's here in a couple weeks, you can ask him. Uh, and he, so much we bought him a gun, literally, we bought him a gun to shoot spiders. We can tell you that story another time. But uh, the church bought him a gun. Anyway, so the, he was driving one day, and there was a, a spider on his windshield, and he's afraid of spiders. So he, and he's on the highway, and he turns on the windshield to squish the spider, and the wipers go, and he realized it's on the inside. And now he's trying, to, uh, he's trying to drive and trying to kill this spider, and he's panicking. And he almost drives his car off the highway. And he said, because my windshield is not something that I'm supposed to look at. I'm not supposed to look at the windshield. I'm supposed to look through the windshield to the highway ahead of me. And he was so focused at what was happening on the windshield. And miracles are like that. We, we focus on the miracle itself, but it's pointing to something beyond itself. A truth about God's kingdom or a, uh, an affirmation of the messenger who is, who is bringing the message. That's the point of miracles. We want miracles to benefit us. We want it to be right there for us. And people ask, you know, is it okay to pray for a miracle? And I say, yeah, because God said whatever's on our heart, we should just pray it to him. He's a loving father. We are his children. He wants us to, to pour those things out. He'll never give us anything that will harm us. Um, but, but at the same time, the point of the miracle isn't just to benefit humanity. Um, Jesus, he, and he sort of, Jesus sort of condemns that view a bit. He was, there was a time when Jesus performed a great miracle, one of his most famous, where it was accounted in all four of the Gospels, where Jesus fed a huge crowd of people with just a small amount of, of bread and fish. And he fed this huge crowd. And in the aftermath of that, people start following Jesus around, and he sees their motivation. They're looking at the miracle and what it did for them. And Jesus kind of rebukes them. John chapter 6, uh, verse 26, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You, you saw this miracle, but you got a good meal out of it. You're following me around because you want more food. You want more benefit from this thing. That's not the point. The point is I'm demonstrating what God's kingdom is like and the provision of God and, and his own authority. So, that, so that's the point of the miracles. But are they true? That's the, so that becomes a tougher question for us. Again, people say, well, look, the people of those people way back in Bible times, they didn't know science like we know science. They didn't understand quantum physics and they didn't understand genetics like we understand genetics. So they used... They, used miracle language to describe the things that they saw. To which I say, okay, take your quantum physics and take your genetics and take your, you know, all the stuff that you know and explain how Jesus walked on the water. It's just perfectly a scientific thing that you understand that they didn't. Science can't explain how the man walked on water. Science can't explain virgin birth. Science can't explain how the dead came to life. These people described what they saw. They don't have, you don't have a better explanation than they did. Now, again, there's other uh, sacred writings and there's other you know, his, you know, 
other writings of ancient peoples that a lot of them had miracle stories. The Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, all these kind of miracle stories, but they're very different writings. They're not claiming to be eyewitness accounts of what was witnessed. Many of them just legends or myths that are, are just stories that are just embellished or, or an actual historical event that was embellished over time. But the accounts in the scriptures are, are very straightforward. They're not trying to uh, tell some grand legend. They're just saying, hey, I am describing what, what I saw, and I saw it not that long ago. Or I'm, I made a careful attempt to describe the life of Jesus as people have told it. Again, not in some distant time. And then even historians like Jewish historian Josephus you know, describes Jesus that he was known as a miracle worker in his day. That, that, that's how he was known. This whole miracle thing was part of Jesus' ministry. So it was, it, it was central to him. So it, it's, I love the miracles because it's a testament that Jesus was who he says he was. So we have John the Baptist in showing that Jesus was part of God's big story, redeeming a fallen world. We have the miracles. Jesus is indeed the Son of God, demonstrating what God's kingdom is like. And lastly, the third testimony is the scriptures themselves. Look at verse 37. The Father who sent me has testified himself concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He said you diligently study the Bible. You diligently study scripture. And you think in that you're gonna, you, can, you can gain life from that. The way, but they totally miss Jesus. How could that happen? Because they looked at God's law, they looked at what God had laid out, what God had done, and they saw perfect religion. They saw, here is a way, if we can follow God's law a certain way, if we can follow this path, then we will find eternal life. We will, we will live a perfect life, and God will somehow accept us. And Jesus said, there's nothing particularly life-giving about the law. Quite the opposite. And the Apostle Paul puts it really well in Galatians chapter 3. He says, If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. He's saying, the more that you understand the law, the more you understand you fall short of God's law. The whole point of the law was to show you that you need God's forgiveness, that you need a Savior, and it is pointing you to faith in Jesus Christ. If you could just follow the law and get life, you would do it. But you can't. But these these scholars, they loved the word, but they didn't see the message. They didn't see the big picture. I heard a pastor describe it like this once. said, uh, someday you hike a mountain. So last week I was able to hike a mountain with my daughter. And we were, you, know, you get to the summit, and you, see how you can just see for miles and all the, the majesty and grandeur of creation. You look out over it, and it's beautiful. So you tell your friend who loves nature, you say, hey, 
you got to climb this mountain. Here's a map. Just go. you got to see this. And your friend goes, hikes the mountain, and comes back. You say, hey, how did it go? And they said, oh, it was great. I got to the summit, and I took a soil sample of the soil that was up there. And I had my uh, little pick, and I picked some of the, uh, chiseled some of the rock, and I had that sent away and analyzed, had a, uh, a spectrometry done on that, and I learned about the composition of the rocks and the soil up there. It was really fascinating. And I took some samples of the leaves off the trees, and, I'm, and but then I say, well, what about the view? Oh, of course, yes, the, the humidity was lower at the summit than at the base of the mountain, and I measured the, the air quality, and, and so the visibility was greater distance than at the bottom because there was lower humidity, and I noticed uh, that the wind was different at the summit. I said, you missed the whole, what about the majesty, the grandeur, the big thing? You don't climb the mountain to take a soil sample. You go to, to see the, the vast array, and that's what they're doing with God's word. Or uh, maybe a better illustration, if there's, a, if there's a wonderful grand event like a New England Patriots football game, <laughs> and it's a very important game like the AFC Championship that they've played in for eight years in a row, it's a record, and you, you gather everybody you love, and you dress a certain way, you put on your Edelman jersey, and you bake special food, you make the wings and the buffalo dip and the cookies and the chips and you get it all laid out and you prepare yourself for this great event and you're sitting and watching and it's amazing and you say did you see that did you see what just happened and people are saying what did we see what the jersey you're wearing points to uh, there's there's the real thing is out there catching balls and they the the food you ate was, it was to celebrate and prepare for the main event, but you're sitting here chit-chatting with your friends. Why did you even come to my house to distract me from this thing? <laughs> when you have these scholars who are so immersed in God's word and they're picking apart every little law and every little thing and they miss, the, the main event was right there in front of them. They totally missed it. He said, all these things are pointing to me. The Old Testament, it points to Jesus, his ministry, his teaching, his atoning death and resurrection. It's all there. He said, you're looking for something else. It's it's all pointing to me. Romans chapter 10 says it this way. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That word end, end of the law is the the Greek word telos. It's not just end, but it's the goal or the trajectory of this law. Everything is pointing to Jesus. It's all finished and final in him. That's Jesus. And here's the sad reality. is the very law that points to Jesus is the very law they appealed to to kill him. John chapter 19 says, The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. The testimony was there. John testified to it. He showed them that this is part of the big picture of God's redeeming work. We need to repent and turn to him. The, uh, the miracles demonstrated that Jesus was who he says he was, pointing to God's kingdom that we will know in all of its fullness someday. And, and, and then it was just every uh, word of the law, every word of scripture just screams the name of Jesus. And again, the Bible is not an easy book. And it's not a, uh, it, it, there, there are, I'm not saying there's not difficulties, but the entire thing, every word, every stroke of the pen is pointing to Jesus. That is his word to us. 
that we love. But we don't just love the word of the Lord. We love the Lord of the word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that this week as we read it individually, as we gather in small groups to study it diligently, we may not miss you. May we know your heart. May we know your path. May we know Jesus Christ who gave his life for us, Lord, in our place that we might receive new life life in him, eternal and abundant life in Jesus, Lord. Keep us true to your word. Keep us true to your heart. Be glorified, Lord, as, we, as, that, as your word then shapes us and moves us as we go into our world, into our everyday, to be a blessing and to share your good news. Be glorified in that, Lord. Be glorified in us, your church. Be glorified in your world. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.